HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by The Greenhouse Tavern, thegreenhousetavern.com. This is Mitchell Davis, host of Taste Matters. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. And I wanted to remind all the listeners that we are a listener-sponsored radio network. And all of our programming comes by support of you listeners, from support of both all of you listeners. And even though every day is membership day, right now we have a special push through the month of July to remind all our listeners that you can donate very easily by just clicking a button and become a member and in this membership month drive if you do donate to become a member you will get one of our fabulous tote bags and you will get previous notices of prior notices of all the good programming and continue to listen be able to continue to listen to all of our programs here on heritageradionetwork.org today when this is being recorded. I don't know when you're going to listen to it, but right now it is the day before the 4th of July. So my thoughts turn to mm, good celebration food for the 4th of July and, and brings me back to thinking about foods I ate as a child growing up in the Midwest. I don't think that they were anything particularly Midwestern. I guess it was American hearty, simple cuisine. But now, as I've gone on in my explorations of food history and culinary history, the question is often asked at conferences, at uh, symposia, at just between different explorers about what is Midwest cuisine? Is there such a thing as Midwestern cuisine? A lot of people might say, oh, well, Midwesterns don't have any distinctive culinary sensibilities. And then again, there are scholars and historians and residents alike who will fiercely defend the fact that, indeed, there are regional differences, regional specialties, and there is a Midwestern cuisine. Today, my guest is Peggy Wolf, and Peggy has written quite a bit about mm, the tastes of Midwestern cuisine. She's a filmmaker and a writer whose stories on what, where, and with whom people have eaten particularly Midwestern food, have appeared in the Chicago Tribune, Los Angeles Times, and other newspapers and publications. 
She is the editor of a delightful book of essays on Midwestern food called Fried Walleye and Cherry Pie. And for those of you who are uninitiated to Midwestern cuisine, there are two of them right there that you have to take very seriously. Peggy, welcome to A Taste of the Past. Linda, thank you for such a lovely introduction um, and for letting me be on your show to talk about Midwestern food. Not an easy topic, kind of like nailing jello to a wall for many people. And it's something that, as I say, a lot of people will fiercely defend it as, as much as they will defend their local sports teams. Oh, those Cubs. But <laughs> you, you, Peggy, are from Chicago, correct? I am. Right. Uh, first of all, for our listeners, um, I, I think what I'm going to do is on the website, if you listen through our website at heritageradionetwork.org, I'm, I think I'm going to post a map of the Midwest cuisine because many people aren't aware of when we speak of the Midwest, what, all, what states are all encompassed? And there are quite a few. There are 12 states, in fact, that are considered Midwestern states, right? You know, okay, this is one of those that depends who you ask. Um, a lot of people, I, I put 10 states in my collection. I, sadly, for anybody listening from the Dakotas, because people, I lop them off because people consider them more the high plain states. My point, exactly. I never considered them Midwestern, but thank you. <laughs> but starting at the Ohio River, starting at Ohio and going west, um, people have said to me, well, what about Pennsylvania? I go, no, <laughs> no, because, you know, you can look on any of the national, the U.S. sites, and they will tell you 12 states, but I think in my interpretation, and we're talking about food, right, big food, fast food, real right. food, um, I, in my own interpretation, the plain states are the Dakotas. I agree. Uh, and actually, I was, um, I was, I'm always a little doubtful of Missouri being lumped in there, too. I consider that a little more south, but hey, who am I to argue? Right? <laughs> as far as the cuisine, can you answer the question, is there Midwestern cuisine? This, this may be the toughest question you're going to ask me, but here's, here is my take on it, is that this region is vast. And if you even look at my table of contents, I have addressed the fact, I mean, if, if all I did was address the fact that we have dairy, we have stone fruit, we have beef, we have lamb, we have pork, we have cheese, and so on, um, I think it would be too narrow to talk about because all the immigrants who settled in the Midwest in pockets everywhere have contributed enormously to our cuisine. That's true. I mean, I think I think of Midwestern cuisine as, in fact, um, I asked my sister just yesterday on the phone, and she was stumped, and she mentioned the same thing, saying, you know, it all depends where you are. It is really, truly regional cuisine, and depends on, the, as you just said, the pockets of immigrants that settled, you know, Wisconsin, German, Minnesota, Scandinavian, um, you know, Detroit, Indiana, a lot of Polish. Uh, you know, it depends where where these people settled and what they brought with them, right? The My former editor of the Chicago Tribune, Carol Haddix, um, who's the executive editor, the uh, food editor, did a book called Ethnic Chicago, 
there are hundreds of ethnic ethnicities just here in Chicago. So it's vast. I just spent 60 days doing an ethnic loaves of ethnic bread loaves of the Midwest booklet for Molly O'Neill, who was the former New York Times uh, food columnist. And, and who grew up in Ohio. <laughs> who grew up in Ohio, exactly, and contends that Ohio and the Midwest is the next food trend. Um, it's on every trend forecaster's menu of what's up next. But anyway, I'm I'm veering off a little bit. Um, you go to Wisconsin, you drive across the border, and you find, I was in Racine last Friday night, which used to be the largest Danish Danish population in America. Go get a Kringle. People go, what's that? I said, it's coffee, cat, coffee cake in the shape of a racetrack. Go a little further north, and you're going to find Door County. People go, what's that? Well, that's a little thumb of Wisconsin hanging out in the Lake Michigan where the Scandinavians settled 150 years ago because they needed water and they, needed, and they wanted lumber. And so all over the Midwest, if you travel and you crisscross the region, as I have done, you are going to find pockets. Why did the Germans go to Kansas and bring wheat seeds? I mean, it was really the Mennonites who planted wheat in Kansas, who got away from um, poverty, who for religious freedom, all the reasons that you and I know about why people left Europe um, to come here. The Sicilians, they're up in Milwaukee. There's a very strong Italian population there, yeah. and so on and so on. So yeah. to try to define Midwest cuisine in terms of the foodstuffs, it's hard. I mean, I sat down when I began this project as a curator, okay, not as a writer, a curator, and I started at Ohio, and I thought, what has Ohio given us? Well, it's endless. It, there's Fleischmann's yeast, there's, you know, and so on, and I think it's the headquarters for Arby's, whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, there's fast food. And so you go state by state by state, and you can write down, as I did, the iconic foods, and I address this with some of my writers. In other words, I needed corn. Mm -hmm. Who will give me an essay on corn? Jackie Michard lived across from a cornfield. She's a fabulous fiction writer, and so she took on corn. And I, I must say, she did um, highlight corn from New York. Was it? No, no, it wasn't her. It was um, one of the other authors, Talking Corn. But she, but but corn was yes, definitely highly mentioned. As any Midwestern will tell you, you know, corn corn it plays very big in the diet. In the state now, you grew up in South Bend, Indiana, right? Correct. And I grew up in Illinois. We're caught, and and if you drive Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, we're called the three I states. Okay, corn, 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 <laughs> everywhere you go through the three I states. Right. That's all you see. That's right. Well. Then we go to, you know, states like, well, you mentioned Michigan, but um, Michigan, Missouri, uh, Kansas. Those then take on, I mean, yes, corn is big there, but they, they take on different um, specialties, too. Of course, we know of the, the barbecue from St. Louis and, and, uh, and Kansas City. Um, but what I, I'm thinking... You know, a lot of this food is, I think one of your writers um, in, in an essay coined it 
I think very, very concisely, comfort food that is uncomplicated. I think that runs throughout the collection. I think that we are tired. Us Midwesterners are tired of listening to the food Nazis on either coast telling us what to eat. Mm-hmm. We like our meatloaf. We like our mashed potatoes. We like our cherry pies. But don't tell us it's all about casseroles. That doesn't exist. That's, that's totally wrong. I mean, a lot of people will just, they'll say, oh, casseroles. And I, I just, I don't find that to be true. Uh, no, it, you know, I grew up, my, my mom was a 50s housewife, okay? And if my dad didn't like meat and potatoes, I wouldn't have eaten it every day of his 79 years. <laughs> but there were casseroles. My mom made something she called goop, which I know sounds like government rations, <laughs> but it was basically butterfly noodles with a meat sauce. Yeah. Okay. Well, certainly chicken a beef, yeah. chicken, beef, beef and noodles. Uh, that that I could that I will I will uh, concede to. What I what I looked at because my book is really more about uh, comprised of authors who explore modern life through food, or what has to happen for a food-centric California girl to accept the middle of the plains, that's Jerry Flick's essay, mm-hmm. or for someone to explore invention through food, like the bunt, the bunt pan. How about family drama through food? So there, that is really the foundation of my book. I mean, people will say to me, how could you leave out, and okay, fill in the blank, but I say that what I wanted to do was capture a place like the Midwest and focus in on food, but I am really telling stories of family and of tradition and of generosity, of the healing powers of hope and family in a nonfiction collection. And, and yes, each, it each, is food-centric. And each one of the essays does do that. It captures it, as I um, wrote to you earlier, that I thought, okay, I'll scan and see what each author had to say. I was captivated. Um, it just evoked so many food memories and and feelings of of family and life. It was it's a wonderful compilation of essays. But you know, one of the things that did um, come up quite often, and it is truly um, of the upper Midwest at least, is fresh fish, freshwater fish, freshwater fish that the either coast obviously just don't have um, the advantage of and. That is something I think that is is um, special to those states. Well, it, it's a huge industry, and um, people in California they don't know what walleye is. But right. you ask somebody from the Midwest, and Minnesota and Ohio are fighting. There's this long, who is the walleye capital of the U.S.? <laughs> you know, let them duke it out because. Um, I was up in Racine last Friday night, and we went to a diner. I said, i got to get the Friday night fish fry, and there was a walleye platter. I, I love walleye. I love it fried. You know, do my California friends eat fried fish? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, one guy told me that they, well, he goes, what's walleye? He goes, we put it in gefilte fish. I go, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> or we don't. <laughs> and, yeah, and you know what I can't find? I can't find fried lake perch. 
that is a very difficult thing to find in New York, I will say. And yes, fried. It has to be fried. <laughs> and there was a place we would always stop and get fried perch. Fried walleye, fried perch. But then you did um, do a couple of visits to Door County, as you mentioned. And there's a very special event that takes place in Door County, talking about fresh fish. I mean, the New Yorkers may love their their white fish salads their, and uh, talk about white fish, but they don't know from white fish. Um, and Door County has a very special treat. Why don't you tell us about Door County's special fish boil? So it sounds horrible, boiled fish. I, I suspected it the first of my five fish boils as well. But something happens when you boil fish. They, it, this is a Scandinavian tradition that goes back 150 years where the the men who went out on the boats to fish um, to bring back trout and, and whitefish and so on. Now, trout does have a lot of fat. They got so hungry on those day boats that they cooked some of the fish. And the fat comes up to the surface, and it did boil over. And I think it was back in the 60s where the tradition was Begun in one of the restaurants up in Door County. There are now 85 fish boils a week. Okay, show you the how the cash register. Yeah, do the math, right? (laughs) Um, Where they go out, the men go out, the fishermen go out in the morning on day boats. They catch catch really fresh lake fish. It is uh, skinned. It is uh, boned. It is cut in maybe five ounce chunks and goes out to the restaurants, and what the restaurants do is have its, its entertainment on the patio with, with beer and fried cheese curds and so on, where people sit around and watch a fenced-off area that's got gravel on the ground, um, this huge cauldron of boiling water, and the fish is lowered in, the red potatoes, pounds and pounds of salt, which raises the temperature of the water. I won't go into this chemical reaction thing because it's a tough one to get. But the water does rise up and boil over. They take the fish out and bring it into the restaurant to serve. And you're thinking, ugh, boiled fish. Okay, I'm not afraid to say that because I had the thought. But you put a little lemon butter and some tartar sauce, and that fish actually has sweetness to it. And I think that may be because of its fresh, because it was freshly caught. Mm. I love whitefish. I grew up eating the tailpiece of Lake Michigan whitefish. Mm-hmm. You know, broiled with right. lemon butter. Right, right, and and it couldn't be any fresher. Obviously, I mean, they bring you know truckloads of of these you know pieces of fish in. Now they just, but they don't fillet it. They just chop it into steaks. No, they Correct. fillet it. Oh, they do fillet it. Through, I did go to the, the fishery. Um, in fact, with my daughter, who I wanted her to photograph it, she couldn't handle the odor. She had to stay outside. So, <laughs> so I went inside, and they have a filleting machine. The fish is put through these rollers where the backbone is lifted out. Mm. So, yes, it is filleted. However, some of the fish has bones, and the waitress in your restaurant will go around table to table and give deboning lessons, you know, of how you how you can lift out some of the, how you lift out some of the bones cuz some of the women in there they're sitting there and they're mashing it with their fork. 
And the waitresses are mumbling, well, they're not going to eat that when they get done. So they bring them another piece of, you know, of fish and show them how to debone it. Well, it's certainly something to aim to see videos of, too, because they sometimes they, uh, I've heard, they throw a little kerosene on to to entice the flames and create even more of a boil uh, on those uh, those big pots. But uh, it is certainly something I'm sure to behold. I unfortunately have not experienced it, but it sounds to me I would go just for dessert. The cherry pie. There you go, cherry pie. And, you know, it, it's. I mean, people make cherry pie across the country. This is cherry pie season. Cherries are coming in. But this is... All right, we call it maybe in the East Coast sour cherry pie, but it's pie cherry. You don't; these are grown to, for making pies because you can't eat them; they're too sour. You can't eat them regularly. I grew up with one in my backyard, and and you had to get them before the birds did, just so you could make pies. They're pie cherries, but yes, they're sour cherries. Unbelievable flavor, um, and that's what they serve. That's the only thing they serve at those at the fish boils, or is that it? Is a- that is a traditional, the traditional food. Okay. It's Door County cherry pie because they grow the Montmorency cherry, right. which came over from France, obviously the name. Um, Wisconsin is a huge cherry-growing region, but nothing beats northern Michigan. Mm-hmm. That supplies about 85% of the U.S. Uh, of the U.S. Uh, cherry production. Um, New York does have, there's a lot of cherry orchards. Yes, what you're calling the sour, we call it the sour cherry, the pie cherry, the pie Montmorency, cherry. right. All right. But why would you make pie out of any other kind of cherry? <laughs> well, you wouldn't. That begs the question, <laughs> right? You wouldn't. Um, and we're on Wisconsin with the fish boils, but, you know, Wisconsin, I was asking um, the question, what, you know, does any, can anyone define Midwestern cuisine? What dish would you, you know, put in there? And someone answered immediately, cheese curds. I mean, who else eats cheese curds? <laughs> really, we make we make other cheeses with it, but cheese curds—that's a special cheese and wild rice. Well, again, wild rice is a native um, crop, actually a um, a plant for Minnesota. Um, but yes, cheese curds—it's very, very, very young cheese, and it doesn't have a whole lot of flavor until you fry it up, of course. <laughs> uh, in fact, we had a platter of fried cheese curds at the uh, at this Racine Diner the other night. And the odd thing about them is because because of their youth, because they're so young. I'm talking about cheese that's two to three weeks old. They they actually squeak in your mouth. <laughs> it's this phenomenon. Okay, you go try it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one thing that I miss, especially fried. We're well, giving it a bad rap. Everything's fried, fried fish, fried cheese curds. Uh, but I think, you know, it's interesting because uh, the Midwest is often called America's heartland. And when we talk about Midwestern cuisine, in a sense, it brings to mind that we're talking about American cuisine. You know, the hearty, simple food, um, as I said before, comfort food, uncomplicated recipes. Uh, in origins, I mean, often I would think of homemade, food that's homemade. Uh, of course, now with modern, and you covered a lot of the modern uh, renditions of what we're, what's being eaten in the Midwest, homemade may not necessarily be a keyword in describing that cuisine, but certainly um, hearty. I think when you crisscross the Midwest and you hit the farmer's markets and so on, 
you you see what you're what I call real food. You're calling homemade food. You're going to see a nod to the housewives back in the 50s of the homemade pickles and preserves. This is all at the farmers markets across the country. I mean, the Midwest has just been. I guess the word is maligned, gotten a bad rap. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's heavy food, it's big portions. And yes, it was all of that, but because of the enormous contrast in culinary extremes, I, I think it's an undefinable region because if you look at big food, and I'm talking about the industrial giants like Archer Midland Daniels, Kellogg's up in Battle Creek, Kraft Foods, which is near me, Fairly General Mills, we have we grew up on these foods, as did the rest of America. Now I remember years ago when they taught us what food is in social studies, meaning what did we eat. We had the Glue magazine pictures on poster board: <laughs> Wonder Bread, Spam, Oscar Mayer hot dogs, Tootsie Rolls, Fairly cheesecake, Good Humor bars, Eskimo pies, Wheaties, Rice Krispies. Jiffy, Bisquick, Aunt Jemima, Pillsbury, I mean, and on and on, Miracle Whip, Quaker Oats, every one of them manufactured or processed in the Midwest. These are the foods we grew up on, sort of the authentic American foods of our childhood. But so much has changed. I know when I went up to Kalamazoo, Michigan, all right, there's a restaurant there called Food Dance. They are bringing in lamb and beef that has been slaughtered, but to dismantle it in the back room of the restaurant, they have cut out the middleman, you see. And this is happening all over the Midwest, where the word fresh cannot be fresher. Right. And, and so it, while And while I think it's a, it's a... And it's an... Or, go on. I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm saying, and an American movement as well, um, throughout throughout all of America, but I but but especially... It's everywhere. Midwest, right. It's everywhere. Um, yet... You know, fast food, and yes, that's everywhere, but the origin of modern fast food, I think the Midwest can can claim that the roots are here. You have entrepreneurs who founded these franchise operations like Wendy's, that's in Ohio, White Castle, that's in Kansas, Arby's, Ohio, Steak and Shake, Illinois, Dairy Queen, Illinois, Pizza Hut. And every one of us, admit it or not, has visited some of these recognized, you know, food stops. Um, so where would we be without the whole notion of fast food? So you have big food, these industrial giants. You have fast food, and then you have real food, what you and I call homemade food, because I think when I started this project, I just nearly 75% of all the land in the Midwest is used for farming. Millions and millions of acres of land devoted to raising animals and growing crops. And the number of Midwest farmers markets has just skyrocketed. Um, I think we have like a, I did this years ago, we have like a third of all such markets in the United States. So you've got, the other thing that's really influenced the foods that we eat is the Immigration Act, I think it was 1965, where... Um, the president asked all the governors of all the states, who will take the Vietnamese? Who will take the Hmong farmers? And you know what? 
Iowa, the governor, raised his hands, send them here. Ohio raised his hand, send them here. You have these very strong pockets of immigrants, and I'm going just going back 40, 50 years, mm-hmm. who were welcomed into the Midwest. You go to the largest farmer's market in, the, in, in America, which is Madison, Wisconsin, and you walk around that Capitol building. There are Hmong farmers. I, don't even, I can't even tell you what they're bringing to market, but they drive for four hours to sell. It's a very it's a changed culinary landscape that we have and you know as I was saying we get a bad rap um, but anyway this this Madison farmers market probably gets about 20,000 customers on a Saturday and everything must be grown or produced by the person behind the table and it must be produced in Wisconsin so there's very high standards right, right. and Everywhere where you are in New York, people just care about where their food comes from. They want locally grown and raised. They want fresh and affordable. And for many of these farmers' markets, I know I sound like I'm doing PR for them, but it's our only opportunity to sort of think globally but buy locally by supporting them. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And and the immigration that has occurred um, has given us a wonderful opportunity to learn and sample and love so many different cuisines so that today, the mid, to say Midwestern cuisine, you definitely cannot put your finger on it. I mean, it's, it encompasses the world, really. It's, it's a global an undefinable cuisine. Um, you know, we, you and I, we love pie, and I think life without pie seems like not, not much of a life at all, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you don't need a cup of lard in the crust. I mean, we've learned how to make crust with less fat. Anyway, I mean, so the title, I'm, I'm so pleased that you love the title because certainly it's a nod to the fresh fish well, it that spoke comes from to the me. lake right. and to the cherry orchard right. that we have. It definitely spoke to me, and you don't have to be from the Midwest to love the essays. Um, again, as, um, as Peggy mentioned, there are how many how many contributors did you have all together? There are thirty essays. Thirty um, essays. But I took on the Door County Fish Boil, so there's right. twenty nine different writers. Right. I mean, including you know Molly O'Neill and and Peter Meehan, who's now a New Yorker, uh, <laughs> and um, uh, Donna Pierce. So many Gail Gand, the you know, pastry chef. So many different writers that are. Not food writers necessarily, but do have a take on Midwestern cuisine. Trying to answer that elusive question, is there a Midwest cuisine? Well, the question remains. I don't think there is an answer. And Peggy, thank you so much for bringing all these writers together to share their thoughts and and to share your thoughts on what truly is Midwestern cuisine. Thank you for listening. This has been... A Taste of the Past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Please tune in to www.heritageradionetwork.org to listen to more programs of like this and many, many more. And don't forget to click the donate button and become a member to support all of this programming. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. 
You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.